Welcome to The Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of The Just Pod. Today, we are joined by both Rory Little and Steve Salzberg. Rory and Steve, thanks for joining us. Glad to be on. Thanks very much, Emily. Thank you both. We'll begin with Rory's background. Rory is a visiting professor at Yale Law School for the fall semester of 2019. And he is a Joseph W. Kotchett Professor of Law at UC Hastings in San Francisco. Steve Salzberg is Wallace and Beverly Woodbury University Professor at George Washington University School of Law. So Rory and Steve are joining us today to provide expertise on constitutional law because we're going to talk about the process of impeachment, but what we wanna talk about today is not just the current impeachment hearing and inquiry, it's also for our listeners of providing a little bit of background on the difference between a criminal case and an impeachment hearing. And so we're going to walk through the different stages of both of those. And Steve and Rory are going to lend their expertise to help walk us through a comparison and contrast. So before we jump into this comparison, Rory, why is this impeachment inquiry not a criminal investigation? Thanks, Emily. There's so many different reasons that this is not really a criminal investigation. First of all, it is a constitutionally endorsed procedure in Article 1 of the Constitution, and it does say the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments, so it makes it sound like it's a trial, but there are lots of differences, including the fact that most people believe that the House of Representatives has the power to impeach, even for things that are not crimes, if they fit the definition of high crimes and misdemeanors in the Constitution. Thank you. Thought that was good background for us as we jump into each of the stages. So let's start at the beginning of a criminal case, at the beginning of the impeachment process. So Steve, walk us through the first step in a criminal case. There are arrest reports and investigations by prosecutors versus the House of Representatives launching an impeachment inquiry. Well, it's you know, it's very, very different. Prosecutors proceed in one of two ways, generally. The police come to them with the results of an investigation. They've made an arrest. They've gathered some evidence. They bring it to the prosecutor. The prosecutor decides whether to charge and what to charge. Or in a white-collar case, more typically, the prosecutor convenes a grand jury. The grand jury calls in witnesses, subpoenas, documents, and the prosecutor decides what charges to bring. And there may be FBI agents and, and other law enforcement officials who testify before the grand jury about the evidence they've gathered. But in an impeachment proceeding, the Speaker of the House generally has considerable authority on how to proceed. There is no prosecutor to investigate. There is nobody in place who holds the title of impeachment czar. And so the Speaker of the House can appoint a special committee to look into possible charges that would be brought in to impeach the president. Or, as we are currently seeing, 
the Speaker of the House can empower six committees to conduct what she calls a preliminary impeachment investigation, meaning that they're definitely looking at conduct of the president that could result in charges, but they aren't there saying, yes, this is an official impeachment inquiry. The difference probably doesn't matter a lot. Once she says we're looking at the possibility of impeachment, the difference between that and a so-called impeachment proceeding is probably rather small. So Rory, please walk us through charges or an indictment versus articles of impeachment. Well, again, the big difference is that the constitutional process of impeachment and then trial in the Senate doesn't really have any formal rules. And the House, in some sense, has all the political authority it wants, depending on what a majority is prepared to vote for. Gerald Ford, the president, is famous for saying when he was the Speaker of the House of Representatives, oh, we can impeach for anything we want. So, you know, in a criminal case, you've got to have very specific charges. You have to have charges that give the defendant fair notice of exactly what's at issue. Often you'll see indictments which run through some of the specific evidence, pieces of evidence that are relevant. You have to have a statute that sort of authorizes that charge. You know, it's possible you might have a criminal case begin with an investigator's arrest report, but certainly federally it's going to go to a grand jury indictment. Articles of impeachment are just different. They're, they're really, in some sense, political documents. And one of the big differences at the current moment that we're at is that the, the constitutional significance of the impeachment process when the president is the target, as opposed to some lower ranking officer or judge, is huge, right? It's a hugely constitutionally significant moment. There are no specific rules that are laid out in the Constitution itself. The House and the Senate do have certain rules that govern impeachment proceedings, but there haven't been very many in the past. There have only been three, really. And so the difference of what could be in the Articles of Impeachment, the, the Constitution says high crimes or misdemeanors. The general thinking is this could include conduct that is not criminal. And certainly at the current moment that we're at, you may see things like that. When the Articles of Impeachment are returned, they then have to go to the Senate. And there are some Senate rules that say within a day of the Articles being delivered or being enacted, if you will, by the House, they must be delivered to the Chief Justice of the United States, who then has to convene a trial in the Senate. This is very different than a traditional criminal case, and exactly how it might proceed today or in the past, it has differed in the past. And so the rules are different as to exactly how it would begin. Whereas with a criminal case, you're pretty much following rules of criminal procedure that everybody's familiar with. So then, Steve, let's circle back to talking about the hearings. In a criminal case, there's a different kind of hearing than when there's a hearing set up by the House of Representatives or when it goes to the Senate. Can you explain those to us? Yeah, they have very different proceedings. If the prosecutor gets an indictment or files an information, which is permitted in many, many state courts in lieu of an indictment, the defendant either pleads guilty or goes to trial. And the trial, as we know, is be conducted by a judge, but generally the defendant has a right to a jury trial in any serious case. And a jury will decide exactly whether the defendant is guilty or innocent. And as Rory said, there are rules that govern these proceedings. There are rules of evidence, there are rules of procedure, and both the 
prosecutor, the defense lawyer, they know the rules. Trials administered by a trial judge who also knows the rules and must follow them. When you have an impeachment proceeding, it's different. I should have had one thing, the criminal case, the defendant also has a right to a public trial and the public has a right to attend. Isn't that clear what rights there are in an impeachment proceeding? Generally, they've been public in part, although if you had a special counsel or an independent counsel, as we did in Watergate, that counsel was investigating the president through a grand jury and a lot of it was private. But today, if you get to have the House actually vote for and approve impeachment charges, and it goes to the Senate, as Rory said, we do know that there will be a trial. The rules of the Senate require it, but they don't say what kind of trial. We know the Chief Justice will preside, but the weird thing about impeachment is that the Senate votes on the rules of procedure. The Senate votes on how to proceed. For example, when Bill Clinton was impeached, and, and by the way, we should be clear to everybody listening that once the House votes to send charges to the Senate, the president is impeached. When it gets to the Senate, the question is, will he be convicted, in which case he's removed from office, or not, in which case he stays in office. In the case of Bill Clinton, one of the issues that came up was should the rules allow the prosecutors, they're the folks from the House, to call witnesses or to let President Clinton call witnesses. And that wasn't decided until late. They first voted on general rules of procedure and ultimately agreed that they would not call witnesses. Instead, they took the depositions of three witnesses and portions of those depositions were played for the full Senate, who ended up voting and ultimately voted not to convict President Clinton. So when one looks at these proceedings, one could see that the Senate could vote to put time limits on the proceeding. The Senate can permit motions to dismiss charges before there is a final vote to convict. It's kind of up in the air the way in which trials in federal and state courts are not. The, the rules just don't exist in the same way, and they can be amended by a, a vote of the senators themselves. Well, let me just follow up on what Steve just said. He's exactly right. The role of the judge is very different here because we don't really know what the chief justice's role is. We do have historical precedent, but it isn't laid out. So for example, some constitutional scholars think that the Senate can change the rules as they go, and other constitutional scholars think that the Senate is locked into whatever the rules are at the beginning of the session. We know what the role of a judge is in a criminal case pretty clearly. We know what's the judge's territory versus what is the jury's territory versus what is the lawyer's territory. Here, we don't know that at all. And interestingly enough, the senators, who may have the power to change the rules are also the jury that the uh, case is being presented to. So the role of judge is very different in a criminal case than in an impeachment case. So then Rory, in looking at sentencing and post-trial options in a criminal case, and 
looking at the Senate vote and the implications of a Senate vote, either removal or acquittal, what are the differences there? Well, I mean, first, you know, there are some important differences on how the conviction is delivered, right? In most cases in this country, the jury must be unanimous. The Constitution says that the president may be impeached on a two-thirds vote of the members who are present. So it's an interesting question, who's going to be present and what's going to be two-thirds. Once that conviction is delivered in the Senate, we think that the automatic judgment is removal from office. There isn't uh, sentencing guidelines, as there might be in a criminal case in federal court or even in a number of state courts. And if the judgment automatically means removal from office, the Constitution then says the judgment for in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than removal from office and disqualification from future offices, which means there is no imprisonment, there is no monetary fine, there are no specified collateral consequences in a impeachment proceeding. But in a criminal case, we generally say that there are various consequences that the judge might have discretion to impose. And then for post-trial options, I mean, there just isn't any appeal, as far as we know, constitutionally, from a Senate conviction. And there's really no appeal from a House indictment. In other words, once the House writes articles of impeachment, they're delivered to the Senate And there's no adjustment of that. You can't make a motion to the judge to change the articles of impeachment or strike counts, at least so far as we know. Again, history may give us some guide, but history is not the same as whatever the Constitution might require. But in a criminal case, you have appeals. You might have a motion, you know, to change the verdict. You might have collateral attacks through habeas corpus. As far as we know, there's none of that in the impeachment process. So it should be very different. So now let's talk specifically about this impeachment process again. Steve, as of October 8th, which is our date today that we're recording this interview, where are we in the impeachment process? I think the answer to that is that no one is certain for very good reason. It was pretty clear that several committees in the House were looking at um, various aspects of the president's conduct with an eye to possibly bringing impeachment charges. The Speaker of the House seemed to be dragging her feet. She was not anxious to move forward and talk impeachment talk when only less than 40% of the population seemed to be anxious for the House to proceed. But once the whistleblower came forward with allegations that the President had asked Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, um, things changed dramatically. I mean, this is historic for a president to ask another country, especially a country with whom we are supposed to be trying to aid, for assistance in getting dirt on a political opponent or potential opponent or, and or his family. Things changed dramatically. People who were on the fence suddenly were on the fence no longer. They said that this is impeachable conduct. But it was very clear that the speaker was now moved. The public attitude towards impeachment changed with a much higher percentage saying that an impeachment inquiry should move forward. There are six House committees that are looking at various aspects of the president's behavior. And 
I suspect if one had to wager, one would wager there will be articles of impeachment. I, I don't know if Rory agrees with that. I'm not sure how the House is going to feel. And part of it is going to have to do with how this investigation goes. The other thing we would add probably to what Steve said, and Steve is exactly right, one of these House committees may look backwards to the Mueller report and say, well, some of the behavior that was in the Mueller report, some of the obstruction of justice or whatever, is now impeachable. We didn't think it was impeachable all by itself, but now when we add it to other things, because there is some precedent for this, Bill Clinton, one of the articles of impeachment, I think for Clinton and for Nixon certainly was obstruction of something, obstruction of process, obstruction of justice. We should point out that Nixon was never formally impeached because he resigned right before the House would have voted on impeachment. So it's hard to know what's likely. What we do know is this, if there were articles that returned, the Senate rules currently require that the process then begin the next day, within a day. And it sounds to me like the Senate, Mitch McConnell has said he intends to abide by those Senate rules. What are the potential charges that the president is facing in this impeachment inquiry? What are the parameters they've set right now that they're investigating? Three things that leap out. When the president reached out first to the Ukraine and asked them to investigate former Vice President Biden and Hunter, that plus then telling the world that he wished China would do the same investigation. That's going to be, I think, at the top of everybody's list, because arguably it's a violation of federal campaign finance law, but even if it isn't, there's something shocking about a president of the United States asking other countries to intervene in our election. I really think that will be the, the top of everybody's list. And I think just as with Nixon, the second thing is going to be all this stonewalling of subpoenas. I believe that the, the very likely charge is uh, essentially that the president has abused the process, that Congress has a right to investigate the executive branch. And they basically have taken the position in the Trump administration, they're beyond investigation. And the third, which is they could go back to obstruction of justice as outlined in the Mueller report, where although he didn't reach conclusions, Mueller identified 10 different acts that the president committed, where one could conclude there was obstruction. Mm -hmm. You know, Emily, let me just point out, we're also in this incredibly fast-moving world. So, for example, we now have a federal court deciding that New York, as a state, can subpoena the tax returns of the president. That seems to now be on a fast move to the Second Circuit and ultimately to the Supreme Court. Now, the House, of course, can work more quickly, and I think is likely to, but were those tax returns to expose any sort of misbehavior or some clear violation of the emoluments clause, the clause we didn't know existed until President Trump was elected, you could see further conduct. It's very hard to know where the House will want to stop and how their political calculus will add up, particularly as they send it over to the Senate. If they were to find something that they felt that no Republican could really resist, they might put it in. Remember that when Clinton was impeached, it seemed relatively clear that in a tangential matter involving sexual behavior, he had not told the truth. That was a count, but it was not a count ultimately that anyone thought carried the day with regard to President Clinton. Roy, I'll ask you to build upon that with 
some final thoughts for a question here is by adding to this impeachment inquiry, if they were to bring in questions of obstruction, now we know that there's that potential that President Trump could face criminal charges for obstruction of justice after he leaves office. How would that change the nature or just affect the nature of this impeachment inquiry? Because a president can still face criminal charges if they've been impeached, correct? Yeah, you know, again, a lot of this is still up for grabs. You know, we start with the text of the Constitution. The Constitution says, again, in Article 1, right after the impeachment process is described, it says, the party convicted, that is, if there is a conviction, shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. That suggests that even if you're convicted, you can still be subject to criminal charges. What if you're not convicted? Most people think you can still be subject to some criminal charges. Now we have statute of limitations problems. Congress also presumably can change the rules. Doubtful this could happen with a majority vote in the House, but if they were at the end of the process to pass a law saying the president shall not be subject to criminal prosecution, we then have a battle of federalism between states who want to go forward because New York State seems determined to pursue violations of New York's criminal laws even after the president's process on the congressional side and on the federal side are concluded. Let me make one last point here. This is more of a smiling point. You know, last time when Clinton was impeached, those proceedings were televised. And yet we still have a rule that federal trial proceedings cannot be televised. The Supreme Court is not televised. So in some sense, the process will be different in that sense as well. We'll see it on television, likely, if it's in the Senate and even in the House. So is there anything else that our listeners need to know as they try to follow this impeachment process and and also in discerning the differences between why this isn't a criminal investigation? Emily, my only final thought would be everybody listening should be really glad that they practice in criminal courts where the rules are relatively clear, where there's an appellate process, if there's an error at trial, and where in some sense we're all more confident that fairness is the overriding consideration. None of those things seem to be true right now, at least with regard to this process of impeachment. That's a really good point. Great. Well, then, thank you to both of you again for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.